Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. I hope everyone remembered to put their clocks back at the weekend. I find it so confusing that your phone updates automatically, but then there are other clocks, obviously, like the clock on the wall that doesn't update automatically. And then you have to add in the fact that I was following Poe all weekend and France are an hour different to us anyway. And I was just all over the place the weekend. I had no idea what time it was, but we'll be talking a bit more about Poe and that brilliant competition later on in the show. First, though, we have an interview with US Olympic event rider Lauren Nicholson, or Lauren Kiefer, as she was better known before her marriage. We'll be finding out about how she got started in eventing and the horse who first took her to the top. I was very much just a barn rat kid growing up. I grew up in the Midwest, a very rural area. So it's a bit of a fairy tale thing to kind of have your first event horse from beginner novice all the way to Kentucky. I'll also be talking to my colleagues about the week's news. We'll discuss fee contamination, innovations around horse sales in this strange year, and updates on next year's European Championships. And finally, vet Ricky Farr of Farr & Percy Equine will be running us through his top tips for preparing your older horses for the winter ahead. Prevention is always better than cure. Everyone knows that. So getting your vet out probably in the kind of like the October, November time before the weather really starts to turn to make sure that you pick up these problems nice and early. So that's enough of me. Pop the bit in your horse's mouth and let's get going. My guest this week is the US event rider Lauren Nicholson, although she'll be better known to most people as Lauren Kiefer, having taken the name Nicholson after her wedding last November. Lauren was on the US team at the Rio Olympics and has been in the top 10 at both Babington and Burley. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, Lauren. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. And you're obviously a huge name in eventing in the US, but I suspect that some of our British listeners won't know so much about you. So can you start by telling us a little about yourself in terms of where you're based and sort of what your setup is with your yard? Yes, I am very fortunate to do six months in Middleburg, Virginia, which is kind of uh, northeast on the coast. And then we spend the winter months down in Ocala, Florida, which is obviously down south and much warmer. Um, so, and I, my kind of big benefactor is Miss um, Mars, and uh, kind of got started with riding. Uh, she has a small breeding program, and I got started kind of breaking and riding the youngsters. And then um, it's kind of developed into a great relationship, and she uh, owns, uh, the majority of my horses and along with a handful of other owners. Great. And that's quite a common thing among sort of U.S. horse people to, to spend six months of the year in one place and six months somewhere else to sort of chase the weather in the sun, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it gets very, uh, snowy and stuff up here and very difficult to kind of keep ticking the horses along. So, uh, you know, we, they still get a nice vacation when we get down to Florida, which is almost nicer for them because they're on the sand and the weather's lovely and they get their shoes pulled off and hang out in the field in nice weather. And then we're able to kind of get a jump start on the spring season down there before we head to the, uh, you know, Kentucky and whatever other spring three days we have. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like the perfect lifestyle for horses <laughs> and maybe for people too. Let's rewind the clock a little and tell us about your first five-star horse. He was called Snooze Alarm. How did your partnership with him come about and, and what sort of horse was he? 
Um, I was very much just a barn rat kid um, growing up. I grew up in the Midwest, a uh, very rural area. And snooze alarm was sent to the barn I was riding at as a three coming four year old to kind of be broken stuff. And my trainer was pregnant and he was quite wild and I was 13 and quite happy to ride anything I could. So I kind of started riding him and took him to his first couple of events. And then uh, my parents bought him, you know, he's, it was, it was a very big purchase back then, but I think he was like, $8,000. Uh, you know, it's a bit of a fairy tale thing to kind of have your first event horse. And then we went from beginner novice all the way to Kentucky. And uh, he's still here now. And he actually lives out with Vermiculus, who's uh, one of my top five star horses and also snooze alarms full brother <laughs> that's such a nice story that you know one of your top horses now is is a full brother to that yeah. that horse who really brought you through the ranks <laughs> now remind me lauren isn't there a good story about vermiculus's stable name as well yeah he um so snooze alarms stable name was maggot when i i bought bug as a vermiculus as a three-year-old and uh when I was trying to think of a proper show name for him, uh, Vermiculus is actually Latin for maggot. And it was kind of my like little inside joke. So, cause it sounds so regal, but it actually is Latin for maggot. <laughs> <laughs> and so you call him bug at home. Yes. And it was with Vermiculus bug that you finished ninth at Burley last year. And I'm sure that's mm -hmm. a performance that a lot of our British eventing fans, listeners will remember. Can you tell us about, about that week at Burley with him and, and how it unfolded for you? Uh, yeah. I mean, he was uh, really stellar on the flat and uh, I think did a kind of personal best test, which I actually have been lucky enough. The two times I've been at Burley, I had the same thing happen with Veronica um, and then cross country was obviously, it was a big track, certainly the biggest track he's done. And, you know, I'd, I'd wanted to be quicker. And then unfortunately, after that super long hold after Woods fell, uh, I had a hard time getting him back going, heading up, uh, up through the Winters Avenue and going away from the barns and stuff. He was a bit, had a bit of his pony come out in him, but, you know, he still, he, he jumped around amazing and, you know, it was a big track and then. He was super on Sunday to jump clear also. So, you know, I was pretty ecstatic with him and, you know, it was a great feel. Mm, good good way to, to, to finish off 2019. But yeah. aside aside from Vermiculus, who are the other top horses in your yard at the moment, the ones we ones we should be looking out for? Uh, Paramount Importance, which uh, I haven't had him uh, very long, but uh, about two years now. And he was in the top 10 in Kentucky last year. Uh, he's... He's a really incredible horse. And then uh, Landmarks Monte Carlo is one of Miss Mars' homebreds. And he's, uh, I've done quite a bit with him. He's done Kentucky, I think, three times. He's been to Auckland twice and Buglo and Blenheim and Badman and everything else. So he's he's done quite a bit. He's a quirky guy, but he's uh, on his good days. He's great. So those are kind of my three top guys. And, you know, Veronica is getting a bit older now and we just kind of play around and do the little eventing derby kind of things. And then we've got a few lovely young ones, but that's about what we've got right now. Great. And I think mentioning Veronica there, who has obviously been such a, a great horse for your career. I was going to ask you next what your career highlights have been, and I feel like she might tie into some of those. For sure. Uh, you know, she definitely kind of kickstarted everything for me. Um, 
you know, I did my second Kentucky with her and she was finished second at Kentucky twice, which behind um, William Fox Pitt and Michael Young. And then, you know, she gave me just uh, decades worth of experience in one horse. Um, you know, I did Auckland twice, uh, Kentucky three times, badminton twice, Burley, Poe, uh, Buchla, Blenheim, Branham, you know, she's, she's done uh, a lot for me and I've gotten to travel all over the world with her. So I certainly owe a lot of my career to Veronica. And uh, I'd say though, with how young I was and kind of new to everything, the a big highlight was uh, finishing second at Kentucky in 2014 with her. The first time I took her five-star, uh, mm. you know, it kind of kick-started my career. <laughs> For sure. And Lauren, tell us a little about this season. Obviously, you've been massively affected by COVID-19, as we all have. Have you been able to get out competing sort of in the latter half of the year? Yeah, uh, COVID's obviously been a huge bummer for everyone all over the world. Um, But yeah, we've at least gotten to get out a bit this fall. And hopefully uh, we're able to do one three-day long format at Tryon in November. as long as that doesn't end up getting canceled, but it certainly, it's drug out the year quite a bit. Luckily, you know, my kind of Tokyo aimed horses are at a good age and stuff, but I can imagine for a lot of people this year could be a little bit devastating if you kind of had like that 16 or 17 year old horse, another year on it can really mess up a lot of plans. So we've at least been able to keep ticking over and hopefully by next year, we've just got that much more training into them. Mm. And talking about Tokyo, what would be, do you know yet what your plan would be for the spring, assuming that we've sort of got our big three-day events back? Would you be taking your top horses to Kentucky or would you be holding back and saving them for for that trip to Japan? No, I'd take them to Kentucky. You know, you kind of, whenever you watch people kind of save their horses or stuff, it never really works out, does it? And, you know, as far as in the selectors' minds and stuff, you're only as good as your last event. So I think and if nothing else, you need the practice. Like, I don't want to go to Tokyo being protective, trying to get there. Like, if I'm going to go there, I want to be on form. So I think it's important to get out to those spring three days and compete against your peers and get into tip-top shape for it. For sure. Well, we'll hopefully hopefully be seeing you there and be full steam ahead to Tokyo. Final question, Lauren. I referenced your name change in the intro, so I think we have to ask you about that. You got married last <laughs> November. Tell us about your husband and how is married life treating you? Uh, his name's Sam Nicholson. He's actually Irish. He's from Kilkenny. Um, that's probably, I can barely understand him half the time. So- that's probably why our relationship lasted this long, <laughs> but uh, he's great. Uh, he's 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 horsey in all the right ways. Like he he doesn't compete or anything, but he uh, builds cross country courses. And so he's when uh, our in the beginning of our relationship for our first birthday that I was with him, he built me a cross country jump. So I figured this was probably a very good sign for the future. But uh, now he's super, and he 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 loves the horses and competing stuff and he's you know it's never it can be hard on a lot of relationships but he's always kind of known that the sport takes priority and then he just tags along <laughs> <laughs> i think a man who can build you a cross-country jump for presents is absolutely perfect i have to say exactly. that <laughs> i'm also married to an irishman although mine doesn't have a very strong accent but how are you able to understand his parents that's a problem i have with the irish accent is like yes, the parents even stronger on the accent yes it's quite the it's 
it it's definitely difficult. I do a lot of what and uh, for our wedding, uh, I think half Ireland came to Florida for our wedding and we basically I think destroyed the town and all the local bars but it was a pretty wild party <laughs> oh well you have my sympathies in trying to understand men and uh, and their, <laughs> their relations with Irish accents for sure uh, but uh, it's really lovely to hear from you Lauren and hear a bit about how eventing stateside is going in this in this strange year um, and thank you for joining us on the horse and ham podcast thanks for having me I'm delighted to kick off our new segment this week by introducing my colleague, Catherine Austin. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Pip. Catherine, we are both massive eventing fans. You're an ex-eventing editor of Horse and Hound. I'm the current eventing editor of Horse and Hound. So this weekend was a really exciting one for us. We had the only five star of the season at Poe. It's an event that we've both been to in the past and loved. Tell me, what are your big Poe memories? What are your sort of favourite look backs to that event in France? I think the first time that I went, I, I, I was, I'm pretty sure I was there when William Fox put one on Oslo. I was there when Dirk Schrader won, possibly, possibly King Artist, something like that. Mm. Then I had quite a big gap. I've been several times and I went last year and actually going last year was great because I'd forgotten how much I loved it. It is the most beautiful place. The Pyrenees are in the background. It was incredibly sunny last year. It was in this hot, we had a horrible wet autumn and it was a complete oasis of sunshine and one last blast before the winter. And I'm pretty sad not to have been there this time, but it, it was going to be impossible, but I have loved watching it this weekend we've been starved of a five star this year and it was great yeah no it really was I think I was thinking about what my favorite poem memories were and for me I couldn't really name a winner it was about atmosphere and like you say sunshine and eating fish um and as you say a last last sort of uh, autumn autumn summer if that's a thing what what do you call it an uh, Indian sunshine. summer Indian summer that's the phrase I want that you get before the winter yeah. one year I actually went out early and my parents came and we had a couple of days holiday in the Pyrenees beforehand and that was so lovely but yes as you say this weekend was all about the sport I wasn't able to go either this year so we were both watching from home but I was so into it I totally fell back in love with eventing this weekend having been a bit sort of lackluster about the whole thing this year to be honest if I'm allowed to admit that but <laughs> it was it was so cool to see Laura Collett nail that first five-star win wasn't it yeah, I mean, I first interviewed Laura at the Pony Club Championships when she was riding walnuts when she must have been 13, I'd say. So to have seen her career go from Pony Club to five star win is, yeah, it, it's really cool. And she's not a lot taller than she was then, but she is a hell of a rider, a hell of a producer of a horse. And she thoroughly deserved this. And I think I mean, wow, the Brits did well. That's cool and very exciting. Yeah, definitely. As you say, we've both seen Laura sort of all the way all the way through her career, which makes us both sound old. And she's not old, but she has we been are. through <laughs> she has been through a lot in the time that she's been eventing, you know. She's thirty one, it's not particularly old to nail your first five star, but She's seen the whole gamut of the sport, horse injuries, she's been badly injured herself, she's had to sell horses to make the next step in her career, she's lost rides that she wouldn't have wanted to lose. She's, you know, she, she's been through the ups and downs of the sport and I think when you see that it's rewarding when you see it come right for someone and particularly on a horse that she's always had faith in but has had his down moments. 
And as you say, it was an incredible weekend for the Brits across the board. Who else was impressive? Piggy, Piggy March was second on Brookfield Innocent. Lovely young horse who won the four star long at Blenheim last year. This was this horse's five star debut as well. They look very confident, very professional. Another second for Piggy at a five star. Um, I thought they were impressive in all three phases. Alex Bragg and Zagreb are so consistent and you'd love what you'd love them to win one, but it's fantastic that they keep racking up the places. And Alex hasn't been competing at this level for that long. And I'm sure that he will do greater things in the future. And my highlight, actually, apart from Laura, was watching Toledo de Cursa, who finished fifth with Tom McEwen. He is just the most outrageously talented, excellent jumping horse. Mm, his cross-country round was, I think for me, the cross-country rounds of the day were him and Zen Shearer with Ros Cantor. It didn't really work out for Ros in the show jumping. She had an uncharacteristic three fences down. But I think, yeah, Zen Shearer and Toledo were the cross-country rounds of the day for me. And we must mention Wesco, third with Tim Price, 17-year-old horse, a combination who know each other inside out. Tim's such a beautiful rider. This horse has had injury problems. He's been off. He tripped in the water at Poe last year. I have no idea what his future holds. You know, he'll be 18 next season. But you could feel Tim's love and adoration for and of this horse. Mm, I asked him whether he still considered him a Tokyo prospect because I know that this time last year he went to Poe to try and get that qualification for Tokyo and very much did see him still as an Olympic horse. And I asked him whether that was still the case, you know, a year further on. Um, and he basically said yes. He said, you know, we'll see if he's happy and willing and healthy. We'll be led by the horse. But if he is, yes, that could be a, a fun thing to do with him. And it would be so nice to see that. You know, he was a hot favourite for the Rio Olympics mm. before he was injured. Um, and yeah, he, he is when he's on his form one of the very best horses in the world for sure and isn't it wonderful a horse like that you know he travels well you know his brain isn't going to get blown by any atmosphere you know if the horse is a hundred percent why not very much so and you know we saw mhs king jules come back this week he's a slightly older horse 15 not not quite as old as wesco but he came back from two years away from five star and was sixth this week so you know these older horses can be incredible servants to their riders and to the sport yeah, and brilliant riding by Oliver. This horse has been very, very strong in the past. He's not particularly easy. And I thought that Oliver did a very smooth job of piloting him round. Mm, definitely. And a very skillful show jumping round as well yeah. by Oliver to get that clear from him. Um, two British riders who impressed me also in the top 10, Catherine, less well known. Richard Coney and Molly Summerland, both first timers at five star. Richard finished ninth on Mermisar Diamonds and had another horse clear cross country, but a little slower, also inside the top 20. And, and Molly was 10th on Charlie Van Heiden. They're both young riders in their early 20s and, and really stepped up on that debut at the top level. Yes, and it would have been, you know, totally forgivable if Molly, having done such a brilliant dressage test, 25.5, you know, if she'd thought, God, I just want to hold on to this first five-star clear round. But she really put her foot down and really went for it. And you've got to do that. That's cool. I, yeah, I, I agree. Both of them did extremely well. And how exciting that we've got. Because we, you know, we think of Tom McEwen and Laura as young Brits, and they're not really, you know, we need <laughs> the next generation as well. And this lot are nearly 10 years younger. Um, and how brilliant that they took every opportunity to show what they could do. 
Yeah, it was really great to see Molly. Like I heard her interviewed quite soon after her round and I spoke to her myself later in the day. And she was almost a little bit ashamed that she hadn't looked super neat and tidy. But that's such a high bar to set for yourself as a young rider. You know, she got out there and made it happen. And that's what counts. That's worth more than looking neat and tidy. And, you know, you could really see the partnership she's got with the horse. Yeah, okay, there were moments he had to help her out. But a horse doesn't keep helping you out like that unless you've built his confidence and built a partnership over a number of years with him. Yeah, you can't sit pretty, can you? You've got to get the job done. No, definitely. And it was really interesting. I was just thinking about this this morning. The different ways you can succeed in eventing. You know, Richard came from 34th after dressage with his mare, finished on his dressage score to be ninth. Molly was 8th after dressage, had a couple of show jumps down, finished 10th. You know, it's 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 about finding a balance between those phrases. It's so hard to be good at all all three of them. But I find it so fun that there are so many different ways to succeed. And isn't that slightly the thrill of the five-star level, is that that can happen? That's so unlikely to happen in a four-star short. And it's, for me, is one of the reasons why the five-star is the best thing we have. Yeah, and I was also, totally, completely agree with you. I was also thinking about sort of the cross-country influence. Do we think it the cross-country was strong enough at Poe? You know, the stats said... There were 10 horses in the time, 70% of horses, just over 70% had a jumping clear. But for me, it was strong enough because it had an influence on the leaderboard. We lost the horse who was second after dressage on the cross country when he had a run out. He, 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 did, he did finish, but he lost his place. And for me, the fact the time was tight was the making of it because you couldn't get that time unless you took the straight routes, unless you took the risk at the last combination. And that meant there was a good a good shake up of the leaderboard. So for me, it was strong enough, although you would say that 70% jumping clear is on the high side at five star. Yeah, and you have to put it into a bit of context, don't you? Poe is never the strongest five star in the whole world ever. It's definitely a five star, but it's it doesn't have the terrain of Burley in particular, or perhaps the imposing nature of badminton. Um, and this is a classier field than you would often get at Poe, because of course you haven't had Berlin, you haven't had a championship. So I think given those things that, yeah, it certainly did its job and you would go from Poe having got a good five-star run under your belt to go and tackle one of the others next year. Mm. Definitely. And and talking about next year, we just heard this week that Badminton have said they will be running in the spring, sort of come hell or high water, even if it has to be behind closed doors, which is a really exciting prospect. Um, obviously, we hope there will be a crowd there of, of some size and that will be permitted by then. But it's great to go into the winter feeling like we've got Badminton to look forward to one way or another. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be a quiet old winter. And yes, having knowing that we've got badminton on the horizon, you know, is fantastic. It's, it's interesting that they have announced that so early, but I guess that gives people surety and gives them a, something definite to work with, doesn't it? Rather than always having to say, well, you know, we don't know what's going to happen and this could happen and this could happen. They can nail their colours to the mast. We're doing it. This is how we're doing it go for it. 
No, definitely. Laura Collett is our guest columnist in Horse and Hound this week, as well as obviously being all over the place with her win. And I sort of said to her, what will you be, you know, thinking about next spring? And she said, well, my main hope for next season is that we get a normal year. But, you know, she said she, said she would have badminton in mind. So it's great to, to, to think that. And, and as you say, I suspect it also allows the event to plan. I think it will allow them to probably firm up relationships with sponsors, with television companies. And, and just for their whole team, it must be important to have that that reassurance that it's going to go ahead there's so much to look forward to isn't there this wonderful sport with all these fantastic occasions and I hope that as many people as possible are able to enjoy them definitely I have enjoyed this weekend so much watching watching Poe talking to the riders and uh, definitely excited again for next season thank you so much Catherine for joining me today to talk about Poe it's been fun my pleasure Moving on from Poe, I have two of my colleagues from the news desk here. Firstly, hello to our news editor, Eleanor Jones. Morning. And hello also to Becky Murray, our news writer. Hello. What have you guys been up to? Eleanor, how's it going with you? Yeah, all good. Uh, Went to a show on Sunday and came back with a rosette, which is always good. But then my windscreen wipers on the lorry decided to break on the way back and it was raining. Oh, no. (laughs) Luckily, nearly home. But um, yeah, I don't recommend it. (laughs) That's not ideal. What about you, Becky? Um, Well, I'm minus one horse this week and feel a bit like I've lost an arm. Um, My mare Chloe's gone off to do some work with somebody for four weeks. So I'm feeling like a very needy owner having to resist tech to ask how she is all the time Um, and my mini Shetlands are now very much ruling the roost and keeping Ruby in line at home. (laughs) Oh is Chloe going to have some special education? Yes um, I'd hope to do it myself but you know I've admitted defeat I don't really have this extra help on the ground here and um, with sort of time wise I thought you know what let somebody do it and make a good job of it. Yeah, I think it's always good to know when you need to seek help from more experienced horse people or someone, as you say, with better facilities or better better help. Well, we'll look forward to hearing how she's going when she comes back. But Becky, we're going to come to you first. You've picked up the story this week about feed contamination. This started a couple of weeks ago as something that was just about one feed company, Gain Equine Nutrition. But it's become apparent that it's actually affecting more than just that one company, hasn't it? What are the latest developments? Yes, so last week it was announced that more feed companies had products that have been contaminated um, with the banned substance Zilpaterol, which is understood to have been found in some molasses used by some of these feed companies. Now, Beta has released a statement confirming which of its members this includes and provided a list of the products affected, which we ran in a story online last week. Okay, and so people can check that story out on our website if they want to know whether their horses are affected. But my understanding is that you don't need to be concerned from your horse's health if it is eating these feeds. It's only if you're subject to dope testing that it's a concern. That's right, isn't it? Yes, that's right. It's really sort of more concerned for those competing. Great. Well, that's that's one good thing. But in terms of competing and doping regulations, there are some steps the BEF has taken there to sort of help people. Can you tell us about that? Of course. So last week, in response to the news that came out, um, British Equestrian announced on the 23rd of October that it had introduced an immediate 14-day moratorium for competing horses. So what this means is that any horse who does unfortunately return a positive result for Zilpatrol through testing at an event running under British Equestrian's anti-doping rules, this horse will not be subject to any regulatory action during this 14-day period. 
Okay, so so you can continue to compete if if that's the case, if your horse is eating one of these feeds, if you are competing under the rules of British Equestrian. And if you're sort of competing internationally, you actually had an interesting conversation with the FVI about a new policy that's coming in in 2021, which links into this case, didn't you, Becky? That's right. So the FVI is proposing to introduce an atypical finding policy So what this means is when there is a positive sample and it's a substance such as zilpatrol, for example, where we know it's been linked to uh, feed contamination, this policy will allow the FEI to carry out a review before official proceedings are commenced. Um, This new policy is subject to approval at the FEI General Assembly next month, but it sounds hopefully like it will protect riders from these types of cases. Mm, that sounds interesting. So hopefully that will sort of be passed on through at, at the General Assembly. Thank you, Becky, for, for your update on that story. Obviously, that's going to affect quite a lot of um, a lot of riders feeding those those feeds. But as we say, no actual risk to, to horse health, as we understand it. But uh, if you're subject to anti-doping rules, you need to keep on top of these things. Eleanor, I'm coming over to you now. You've been looking at two stories which are COVID related. And one is something that we've been following on the podcast throughout this year, which is the possibility of having European Championships as well as the Tokyo Olympics next year. What's the latest on that? Yeah, so as you say, we we have covered this sort of all the way along. First, the Europeans were called off in all the Olympic and Paralympic disciplines because of the rescheduled Tokyo Games. And then the European Equestrian Federation uh, asked the FEI if they could run. And to cut a long story short, the FEI has now announced that they will run in dressage and show jumping only next year. Okay, so that feels like good news dressage and show jumping, but there's going to be some disappointment, I think, in eventing and para dressage that they're not going to get a Europeans as well. What are the sort of reasons behind that and what are the reactions in, in those sports? So the FEI said that the uh, the, the para-dressage championships wouldn't run to allow athletes to focus on the Paralympics because of the timing. And in eventing, uh, the FEI said that any organisers who had expressed interest did later then withdraw in the process. So eventing has said, we spoke to Dickie Waygood, the eventing world-class performance manager for Britain, and he said absolutely gutting for eventing and it, it would have been a great opportunity. Um, we also spoke to the multi multiple medal winning para dressage rider Natasha Baker who said she can see both sides of the decision so although obviously it's a disappointment for para dressage not to have the championship she's saying you know how many countries could afford or have the teams and riders to send teams to both championships and as she has said she would hate for a championship to run and it not be absolutely amazing. And that's something Paradise has really moved forward on in the last mm. few years, that they have such high class championships now. And it'd be a shame if that wasn't the case. But I have to say there was a French rider at, uh, at Poe last week who uh, joked that the British have brought two Olympic teams to Poe. So uh, certainly in eventing, <laughs> Britain would be strong enough to, to field a team at, at Tokyo and at the Europeans if, if we were able to have one. So disappointing that. Um, you've also been looking at sales of horses, Eleanor, as in sales and auctions um, rather than private sales. And they've obviously changed this year to take into account that we can't cram thousands of people into a sale room for an auction. Tell us about some of the new innovations that you've been finding out about that, that have been allowing sales and auctions to still go ahead. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it's in some ways not groundbreaking to run the auctions online. Um, we spoke to William Funnel of the Billy Stud, which has been running, they've been running online auctions for possibly five years now, a few years now. And as William said, you know, he thought 
things were moving that way anyway. When they first ran their first online auction, it was supposed to be sort of a pre-event to an actual auction. And but he's saying, you know, the coronavirus has accelerated changes that were happening anyway. They've they've just run an elite sale where their big star national six year old champion Billy Masai sold for ninety two thousand um, pounds. So, yeah, sale, sales are looking good. Mm, wow, that's a, a really good price. And it's the Monarch sale uh, in Ireland as well this week. And they've got a lot of innovations going on too. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of prices they manage to yield from horses. Thank you, Eleanor, for telling us about those couple of COVID stories. Now, finally today, I want to remind everyone the voting is open for the Horse and Hound Awards in partnership with NAF. The voting is open for one week only until the end of the 5th of November. So make sure you visit horseandhound.co.uk forward slash awards to get your votes in. There are 11 categories that you can vote in. And I'm going to ask Eleanor and Becky to pick a category each that you're particularly interested in. Eleanor, which is your pet category, so to speak? Yeah, it's the pick your amateur rider of the decade. Okay, and why should we be interested in that that category and who's in it? I, I think all, well, a lot of us know, you know, how much hard work it is competing horses and having a full-time job at the same time. And actually, I would like to point out that I didn't have anything to do with the shortlisting in this category, but um, I know, <laughs> I know all four of the riders who have been shortlisted, three of them live very locally to me. So it'll be a very hard job to choose between them from my point of view there's Philippa Ratton who is a police officer who jumps up to 140 and you know I know I've seen her at shows where she's finished her night shift quick change gone to the yard and straight to the show and then back onto a night shift um, and then we've got Sharon Polding who actually lives about two minutes away from me who is aiming for badminton 2021 which will be her third five star uh she's got a child and a full-time job and that katie preston who works for my vet <laughs> who has just had another five star completion at poe absolutely amazing you know everyone knows how many hours uh, vets work and she's still competing at that level and then lastly this the amazing evie tombs the para show jumper she's a disability campaigner um she has unfortunately had to spend a lot of time in hospital recently but she not only campaigning for those with hidden disabilities but also jumping in able-bodied classes and having tremendous success there. Yeah some really worthy contenders there in the Pika Amateur Rider of the Decade category but what about you Becky which is the uh, the award that you're particularly interested in? I'm quite excited about the Stallion AI Young Rider of the Year category. Um, I think, you know, rewarding young riders have achieved really so much. Um, you know, there's Tab for Kyle, show jumping, um, Alice Homer, showing rider. We've got Isaac Ketridge um, for show jumping and Yasmin Ingham for eventing. And, I, you know, I just can't wait to see which of them win. You know, it's great to see the different disciplines there, but I think they've all achieved so much. So it's really well done to get the nomination. Definitely. It's an achievement just to be nominated and shortlisted for these awards. And one of the really exciting things about this year's awards is that we have some categories which are of the decade as well as the of the year categories. So the one I'm going to pick is the SEIB Horse of the Decade category. The contenders are Big Star, Vallegro, Chili Morning and Labio Aesthetic Sam. Just an incredible lineup with those those four horses. And I'm not sure I even would know which which way to vote. I feel like my, my eventing 
doing a eventing which is where my heart is might be slightly challenged and I might have to push towards uh, towards Vallegro possibly although uh, La Biestetique Sam and Chile are also such worthy horses and of course big stars so I just wouldn't even know who to vote for so it's a good thing I can't vote but you can so over to you listeners readers make sure you get out there and vote and that's all we've got time for on our news segment today thank you to Catherine for joining me to talk about Poe and to Eleanor and Becky as well Now we go over to vet Ricky Farr, Farr and Percy Equine. Here's Ricky. As your horse is getting older um, during the winter, few little things that you need to be kind of bearing in mind, really, um, as they are progressing more into those kind of uh, senior years. So we try to encourage clients here to do almost um, uh, pre-winter season checkups. And so coming along, actually having a look, what's their weight like? What's their dentition like? Um, what are their hair coat changes like? Are they drinking excessively? And just making sure that we're preparing ourselves for that winter period. So again, prevention is always better than cure. Everyone knows that. So getting your vet out probably in the kind of like the October, November time before the weather really starts to turn to make sure that you pick up these problems nice and early. So again, things to definitely look for. Making sure you know what their weight is normally and what their weight is normally during the different cycles. It should fluctuate slowly, very, very slowly. But getting accurate weights, getting people out with a weigh bridge rather than a weigh tape. Weigh tapes are good, but as long as they're being used consistently in the same position on the same animal, they can help. But weigh bridges, there's access to them. There are lots of hospitals out that have there. There are feed companies that have them out there. There are practices. Just get them out. Get those horses weighed. Checking on body condition scores. Where are they holding their weight? And are they holding additional fat over certain areas, over the rump, over the flanks, the top of the neck? Looking for those hair coat changes as well. So do they have delayed hair coat shedding during the spring and the summer months? Do you find it's getting really long and curly? All those kind of classical signs of PPID. Condition of their feet as well. As these horses get older, again with everything, they're not fixing or repairing themselves as fast as they used to. So keeping a good good eye on their feet, looking out for thrush, looking out for chances of abscess or any kind of packing of either snow or mud into the bottom of the feet. Dentition as well is a is another biggie. Um, getting your vet out regularly to check their teeth. Horses should realistically, in, in the normal environment, be checked at least once a year. But getting those teeth checked and getting them checked by people that are suitably qualified is absolutely essential in these older horses as we're coming into the winter period. Clipping them. Again, if they're getting long hairy coats, we're clipping these horses out, um, making sure that we're not using clipping patterns that are going to result in excessive heat loss or anything like that. So watching when they're clipping. And also with regards to lameness, looking at these horses, most of them as they're getting into their twilight years are going to have a degree of osteoarthritis. So if they're having osteoarthritis as it's getting cold, they're going to move around less. As they're moving around less, the chances are not burning off any calories. So therefore, are they going to be piling on the weight? Again, it's a vicious little cycle. So when when we're called out to check on them, we're going to be checking out for, yeah, again, 
PPID or Cushing syndrome. We're going to be checking out for lameness. We're going to be popping them onto the Weybridge. We're also going to start to look for internal parasites as well. In the winter months, particularly in the older ones, we're going to be looking for something what we call encysted cyathostomes or these encysted redworms. Uh, look out for a, 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 another podcast. There will be some more information on this. Um, also doing potentially routine hematology or biochemistry and um, blood tests. So do you know what's normal for your horse? And that, uh, We still advocate still doing it here. If you've got a horse that seems to be not doing quite as well, taking a blood sample, having a look. Is there something more underlying that is actually um, that, that causing those issues? But again, caring for that older horse when they're out in the field. Um, most horses will be absolutely fine as long as they've got access to free water so even in the winter making sure that it's not frozen they have free access to it making sure that they have free access to good quality or normal forage all the time and making sure they have access to some form of natural or artificial shelter sticking a horse up on the top of a hill in a blowing gale getting wet is not going to do it any good and that you'll probably find horses gravitating towards hedgerows or trees. They're trying to get out of the elements. So making sure that they have full access to that at all times over the winter period. But what about the, uh, the things to kind of think about when it's time to say goodbye? Is your horse getting too old? Will it go through another winter? You know your horse. You probably know your horse better than your vet will ever do. Having that individual chat with your vet about your individual horse. That's the key to it. Age is not necessarily a determined factor for horses that are required to be euthanized if they wouldn't get through a winter. I think chronic weight loss, poor molar dentition, excessive or chronic lamenesses, reduced mobility, or even um, exposure, or you know they're going to have exposure to adverse weather conditions, are all the kind of things that you need to be discussing with your vet if you are considering that they won't be able to get through another winter. It's a conversation that has to be had and don't be embarrassed to have it. Most vets will be quite happy to discuss that and give you a quite a pragmatic opinion of what to do. Thanks, Ricky. Next week, we'll be back with Helen Van Tool from VT Vets to hear her thoughts on what to do if a horse has a big leg after hunting. Our guest interview will be showing producer and horse and hound columnist Sam Roberts. And of course, we'll have all the latest news too. Don't forget to vote in the Horse and Hound Awards in partnership with NAF. And I look forward to speaking to you all next week. Goodbye for now. The Horse and Hound Podcast is a Media Cage production.